morning, my friends, and welcome to yet another incredible installment from very high above all the puerile and insipid forms of Wyoming mainstream media. This is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone, broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming. Well, good morning, my friends, and welcome to the program. It's Wednesday, the 9th of August. The show I have for you today is a long one. So I'm going to try to keep the commentary to a minimum and just get straight to work. Though there are a couple of things that I want to make you aware of. Yesterday, the Legislative Education Committee met and there were some fireworks. Evidently, Landon Brown thinks that when you drop your kids off at school, that they become children of the state, that they're no longer yours, that the school is the parent. The dumb things that come out of his mouth never cease to amaze me. The room was packed with just about every liberal you could think of. Now, the topic of discussion for most of the meeting was parental rights. So, of course, the likes of Wyoming Equality and Sarah Burlingame and all of her cadre were in attendance. I haven't quite watched the entire video yet, but I'll bring you parts of it, a couple of sound bites, during the live episode, which begins tomorrow at 10 a.m., and then on Weekend Update, we'll do a little bit of a deeper dive into it. Whenever Landon Brown says stupid stuff, I'll be there. That's right, my friends, he can never escape, even though it's been over 900 days since Landon Brown agreed to an interview on cowboy state politics and then didn't show up. In any case, he'll get what's coming to him tomorrow and on Saturday. One of the favorite phrases of the Wyoming left is, well, that doesn't happen in Wyoming, or we don't have that problem here. And every time they utter those words, they're lying through their teeth to you. While Wyoming may be isolated, and there are some problems that other states have that we don't have to contend with, but for the most part, all of the big things that are happening in other states are happening here. We do still have liberals that want to take your guns. Redcoats, in the absolute purest sense of the term. All of us have been watching the fiasco surrounding Hunter Biden, where there's evidence of hundreds of crimes on his own laptop, and yet he's not being prosecuted. And then there's Donald Trump. If he sneezes in Florida, there are liberal prosecutors in six other states that are trying to determine if that was a crime. Selective political prosecution. And if you just so happen to be a member of the Wyoming elite, well, you could commit a whole host of crimes and not have to pay the piper for them. Think about Representative Dan Zwanitzer, who committed absolutely provable voter fraud and nothing ever happened to him. Or Johnson County Commissioner Bill Novotny, who got caught driving on the wrong side of the interstate, presumably for 30 miles between Sheridan and Buffalo, while being blackout drunk, eluding police with an open container. He blew a .187 on the side of the interstate. The wrong side, that is. And the only thing that happened to him was a $1,000 fine and a year of probation. He spent a grand total of six hours in the county jail. 
If it were you or I that did the exact same thing, we'd probably still be in the slammer. And then there are instances where really no crime has been committed at all, and you get prosecuted for it anyway. Yes, in Wyoming, there are prosecutors that if they disagree with your politics, they'll find whatever obscure thing they can to prosecute you, to try to put you in jail, to take away your livelihood and your liberty. And if you're politically connected in this state, they will absolutely do it. There's a very good reason why I set the cruise control at 75 or 80, depending on where I'm at, why I don't blow through stop signs, and I make sure that I come to a complete stop at a red light before I make a right-hand turn. Because I know with almost absolute certainty that given the chance, a prosecutor would love to prosecute me just because I disagree with their politics. This is yet another thing that doesn't just happen in other places. So on today's program, I'm going to bring you the stories of two of my friends that had that very thing happen to them. The only thing is, in both instances, prosecutors tried to take their guns away from them. One was a case of an alleged hunting violation, and the other was a pretty clear case of self-defense. About a week and a half ago or so, Representative Ken Pendergraft and I interviewed Joey Carrenti and Nina Weber. Both of them felt the full force of county prosecutors in an attempt to take their firearms away from them. It's two fascinating stories, and in the end, I know that you're going to be shocked that any of this could ever happen in Wyoming. Now, you're not going to hear me say too much during the course of the interview. It was pretty light duty for me, but I know that you're going to find this fascinating. Here it is. Welcome to the Ramble Room. We are back once again with David Iverson. Our dear friend is here with us today. Thanks for having me, Ken. Joey's back. Always. Joey left. Joey Caretti. Um, He didn't move far, and that's fine. Um, Our special guest today, and she is pretty special, is none other than National Committee woman, Nina Weber. How are you, Nina? Uh, Doing well. Thank you, Ken. Some of you may have heard that there was an incident that happened west of Cody, a hunting incident in which allegations were brought against Nina for carelessness. Nina, if you would just take a minute and kind of explain what the charges were, what the allegations were, and then we'll get more from there into what happened. Uh, Sure, Ken. On November 30th, there was a large group of us that were hunting in a field uh, elk hunting, which is a a normal uh, area for uh, for the tag uh, that I had drawn and have have had permission to hunt on this person's private property for quite a few years now, and this was going to be no different. The elk were coming down. Uh, we spotted them, put basically put them to bed uh, that morning. Got up. It was a nice cold morning, like ten degrees and started out it was dark saw the elk spotted them went and got into our positions in the field and just a a a routine a routine elk hunt as it should have been the herd was coming across as they are known to do and there was a couple of different people that were also in the field Um, i only knew where i was and anything that i could see from the field so there was eight hunters 
And to my knowledge, there was um, at least two uh, people that were not hunting. And how many of these people were in your party? Uh, six. Okay. Six hunters and two uh, bystanders. Okay. Or, um, so I just want to clarify, between you, your party, we're not the only ones on this field. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. There were two other people from, like, Georgia that were out there. The elk come across, and, you know, it's it's a 100-acre field. It's, it, it's pretty hard to say, oh, gosh, they're in the field, and you just start blasting. That's not what happens. Uh, the elk have to be into a certain range. There's a couple of factors in this certain field because uh, part of it, there is um, a, a house on the field. There is a main highway that goes through. And uh, so you have to you have to be aware of what's been going on. Uh, from hunting in that field for the last six years, there, there definitely is um, some attractiveness to hunting there. The ease of the animals coming in and out, um, and you definitely have to be aware of your surroundings because you wouldn't want anything, um, anything, anything to go into a different way that it wouldn't be safe. And the highway is one of those uh, factors. Sure. So you're there, you're a party of a half dozen folk, and the elk are moving in. The elk are moving in, and there were some uh, a couple of guys that were with us. They had the elk were more towards their side of the field and their safety zone, so they took some shots. They had two elk down that I could see. Uh, there was probably I, I think I heard four shots. Uh, I was in a different location. And my um, hunting friend and I were standing there going, well, it, I'm ranging it that looked pretty far, like over 450, 500. I wasn't going to take that shot, and he claimed that he wasn't either, so we didn't. We wanted to wait till the elk got a little bit closer to our side of the field. Somebody else had come down into the field, and I didn't know it at the time, but I knew once I saw their trucks that there were... Um, they were from a, a neighboring house and they had come in and made I, I, allegedly they had made a complaint um, how do i know this i had received a phone call from scott and he had said uh, i don't know what's going on but the neighbors are saying that they uh, heard some shots fired and i said well probably <laughs> <laughs> it it i bet they did um but that that wasn't it they it was more precise that they heard and fired towards them mm -hmm. and i was like oh okay well we know what the safety zone is and i said my remark was i hadn't even shot yet um, a little while later uh, the elk were still milling around there was the the first two shots then there was uh, two elk down then there was another group that had come in and shot at the elk as they had moved towards the I guess towards the trees. Okay, this other group that came in. They were still part of our. That okay. was still our okay. our hunting friends uh, that had came in. Yeah, the elk were not down towards. The, we were by, I guess, on the river side. So I was waiting for them to come over. There came a point when a small um, herd kind of split around and turned back, and there was my opportunity. And it looked a little far for me when before I shot, I ranged at 450, and I wasn't going to take the shot. And the elk kept moving towards me, which I thought, well, this is pretty good. Um, at a point, the elk stopped, 
Um, there was uh, the one that I was going to shoot at was away from the herd uh, just a little bit, and I took a shot. My spotter, who was right beside me, had said, you hit dirt. And I said, what? I racked it in and shot again. He says, you're hitting dirt. I said, okay. Um, I said, I'm not really sure what's going on, but I'm not shooting anymore. So at that point, I was done shooting. Um, a, some minutes later, the elk were still milling around, and I talked to, to my friend, and I said, hey, um, it looks like they're going to get out of our range. Let's just walk along the tree area, and let's see what happens. And as we were walking, it just happened that there was a, the elk herd, a small elk herd, uh, was walking in front of us, and I said, it looks like one of us or both of us are going to get our chance. And I said, um, why don't you come up and, and take a shot? So, and he was looking and he goes, oh, yep, I think there's a, you know, there's a yearling I can take. And he came up and he, you know, was on a fence post and took a shot and the elk fell. And that was pretty much it. I wanted to take another shot at a, at an elk and get into harvest and fill my tag. But that wasn't possible. At that point, there was a, um, an, a known blue truck that I had seen out there before. And these were these guys from Georgia, and they were driving down the road and into the area. So I was unable to do that. So I was okay with that. So they, they obviously heard or saw what was going on and then moved your direction? Uh, there, the herd was quite large, so some. Well, I'm talking uh, about the the folks in the blue truck, the Georgians in the blue truck. Very possible. Okay, they so took you... an opportunity, and I guess that was that that okay. that's what it is. And out of you know respect for the landowners, who I know quite well, they um, let people. They want people to hunt there. Mm-hmm. You know, they um, work with the game and fish, and the elk have been eating down their hay fields for years. So one of the ways that you get uh, reimbursed for some of that is that you allow hunting in your field. Sure. So, and this is what these folks do, and it's legal, and and they like it, and they like that we all coordinate, and everything, um, and everybody is coordinating with everybody. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll find out what happened with Nina's hunting trip. We'll get back to the program in just a second. But first, an absolutely obscene profit timeout. Cowboy State Politics is brought to you by Morton Buildings. Depending on who you talk to, we're in smack dab in the middle of summer. Though you live in Wyoming, so don't kid yourself. That white stuff is right around the corner. And if you paid attention to the news yesterday, it's already snowed in some places here. So it's the perfect time to start thinking about that building for your property. Whether it be a garage or a barn or a a roping arena so you can do all your rodeo stuff year-round, or maybe even a giant warehouse for your building. Uh, The two guys you should talk to about it is Nick and Jesse at Morton Buildings. Their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. It's Wednesday, my friends, and you know what that means. Gun of the Week time from Gunrunner Auctions. The Gun of the Week is lot number 21. It's a beautiful Ruger number 1B in 270. It's in like-new condition. It's got a 26-inch stainless barrel and has a mint bore without sights. 
The barrel, lever, and receiver have near 100% stainless finish. It's got a green laminated stock and forearm with a 100% smooth finish. It's fitted with a Burris 3-10 variable scope and the optics are clear on it. This gun probably has never been fired. It's a beautiful weapon and it can be yours. It's lot number 21 at GunRunnerAuctions.com. New episodes of the program are published every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. There won't be a Thursday live episode tomorrow. I've got a couple of meetings going on, so it, they'll resume next Thursday at 10 a.m. And now, let's get back to Nina and Joey. So we have a... a a picture here and I think most of the folks in this room have been in similar situations where you're out there spotting stock take a shot when you can and there are other people in the area and they may not have the same ethics that you share I'm not trying to impugn anybody I'm just trying to draw a picture what happens after that you so after that you know the the game warden um, who actually witnessed the whole event um, I didn't know he was there before dark um, but I knew he was there at shoot time uh, and how do I know because I saw his truck he witnessed everything um, I did know that the sheriff were going to be called early on um, because of the complaint from the neighbors and the sheriff's deputies there were two trucks that pulled up um, there was the game and fish person and there were some other people I don't know if they were the neighbors or the people that worked there I'm not really sure but the complaint didn't come from the landowners it came from people living in that area it came from people living in that area correct okay. so um, I at still at this point you know what we are still part of uh, my friend had just shot a, an elk and we had some work to do one hmm. was to get it so that was um, pretty entertaining. I mean, if anybody would drive by, they would say, wow, I wish I would have been there because it certainly looked like a lot of people um, were going to have meat in the freezer. So I have a question, Nina. You took a couple shots. So can you just give us some geography? You know, the, the complaint was made that, you know, from the neighbor's house and you shot at an elk, you missed it a couple times, shot low. Can you just tell us where you were shooting from in relation to the neighbor's house? Oh, sure. So th on this property, there is some, um, you know, the guy does some farming. There are some old farming equipment. And where I was is I was nestled in some farm equipment, like seated in between the tires in this farm equipment. We're in conjunction to where the house was. It's over like. 980 yards away so uh, also with the field it's like a like a soup bowl if you're looking straight at it it looks like it's pretty even all the way across but you get in it and walk and you kind of walk down into a little bowl and most of it is down below and then the sides come up uh, it's kind of weird but that is how it is so my question was, were yes. you shooting in the same direction as the house? No. No. The house was near the highway. The neighbor's house is near the highway. 
So I, I was not. The highway is well marked. It's an area that I have, I've been in this field for six years. It's an area I know whether it's snowing, whether it's uh, sunshine, whether the wind's blowing 70 miles an hour. No. So just, just one, more, one more question, then I'll let you continue. So the shot that you took, and you know, all, of us are, all of us in this room are hunters. Would you say that the shot you took was a responsible one that you would take it again if you had the chance and your your gun was actually sighted incorrectly the the two shots that i took uh were very responsible one there was i wasn't in a direction of the houses or people Um, also there were four horses running around out there um, nor the horses Uh, the two shots i took were were very safe Um, the distance was a went back out there and walked it with a ballistics expert and i feel like the distance was right around 400. my gun is sighted in for 100 100 yards were Um, you were you in a position to accurately witness any other shots that were taken you mentioned some people in your party took a couple of shots i would i could witness the first the first two elk that were harvested i witnessed that the second two elk that were harvested, I heard that. Mm-hmm. The one that my my friend took that I was hunting with, of course, I witnessed that. Uh, the people from Georgia, they took uh, harvested two elk. I heard those shots, but you couldn't tell at all where the where the shooter was or what direction they were firing. Um, from the direction, the only people I couldn't tell where they were is I couldn't tell where the people in the blue truck were because okay. they were down past my sight. But everybody else was, um, uh, these are people that uh, I have hunted with for at least six years. And there was, well, there was, uh, excuse me, there was um, one guy that I had never hunted with before. You've got some elk down. Time, got elk down. Time to gut them. That's when the work starts. It's when the fun starts. Well, you call it fun. I call it work. <laughs> we've, we've had that difference of opinion for many years. I think we have. Yes. Yes, we have. But anyway, uh, what happens then? Obviously, I mean, you mentioned that there's a game warden there that witnessed all this. So what goes down from there? How, so when what, do you know things are starting to go sideways? What I see is the game warden doing his job, which is he comes in and he starts at the, you know, at, at at the point he walks in and he's talking to those hunters he's i'm assuming he's checking their tags to make sure hey do you got the right one do you have permission to be here stuff like that the last person he gets to is um, the person i was hunting with and he asked him you know to see his license and that was really the conversation he did not say anything to me just just one aside of these people that you were hunting with were you in any way acting as a guide or in in that capacity or were this just mutual people that you're hunting with uh, i have friends that i hunt with no guiding okay yeah, so I think you, you have weren't to be a part of a, an association to do that don't you and have certain training I'm, i don't have any of that okay you have to have a guiding license don't you Yeah, there are licenses and other things depending on the circumstances, but there's also kind of informal. Hey, you know, this is my this is my backyard. This is a place I know I've been six for six years. Come with me, and I'll show you that. So, besides the one guy, everybody else has hunted there. Yeah. So that was part of what I wanted to establish because 
my recollection in reading the news articles, we all know how much confidence we put in the accuracy of, of reporters, that this was a group under your guidance that you took them out there and then just all hell erupted. You know, that was kind of the story that, that I read in the papers. Now, I've known you for a long time. And when I read that, I said, that's, that's not the Nina that I know. Well, so, they made it sound like the elk showed up and then everybody yeah, just opened up. Just all hell that, broke loose. Evidently, that's not what happened. That is not what happened. Everything, uh, the group, uh, my friends that I hunt with, were very respectful and very knowledgeable of the field. We had been out there. We walked the field. We walked behind where the river was. Uh, definitely pointed out, again, even if they have been there before, here's the highway, here's the traffic pattern, uh, here's people will be going to work, there might be school buses. We went through... Horses. And, and definitely yeah. the horses. And we went through everything. And and even the stuff that um, is that could happen. Uh, that place has coyotes and also grizzly bear. So we talked about that and uh, just to make sure everybody was on the same page. You have to be alert. We're gutting the elk. The game warden's going out doing the checks. He gets to the person you were hunting with. Take us from there. Yes, uh, asked him for his license, and that was pretty much it. He showed that he had the license and said he had permission to be there, and then uh, the game warden walked off. After that, I had did he, seen— Did he speak to you at all? Did he uh, check you? Uh, no, I didn't harvest an animal. Okay. He probably saw that as well. Thank you. Um, so after that, the deputy was coming around, and we were still getting, uh, still getting the elk. So the deputy, uh, according to me, talked to everybody else first, and then comes over. And he was asking a couple of questions, and it, mostly, "Where were you? When did you shoot?" And I'm like, "I this is what this is where I was." And he goes, "Could you take me over there?" Um, and there's you know nothing to say why would you not take somebody over there and showed him the direction that i shot in and what my spotter had said which was you're hitting the dirt and then you're hitting the dirt and then doing the responsible thing is that you're like okay th there's something up here um so i didn't think really didn't think anything of it the deputy then uh he he called me and wanted to have a well let me back up one second. After we talked a little bit, he then asked more questions, um, w wanting to know a whole bunch of, of, of other questions. Where were you? Where were you standing? I thought some of the questions were kind of odd. I don't think he had spent in any time with anybody else. And that's just me watching him walk this field where everybody else was getting. I thought it, I, I kind of thought, well, gosh, this is kind of weird. And I thought, well, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even harvest an elk. So I knew something was kind of weird before I left the field. Uh, the There was just a, an awful lot of questions, um, and it, they were only directed towards me. Uh, they weren't directed towards the other person that was in the vehicle. They weren't, uh, that was a witness. Uh, there were two witnesses, and they said that they weren't asked any questions. And that was before we left the field. Uh, we did load the elk up and we took them to process them. So after that, um, I came back into the field because the elk were still around and I still wanted to harvest an elk. So I was back in the field and the sheriff, the sheriff's deputy is there. 
and he wants to have more conversation with me. And I'm like, um, well, I don't have anything else to say. Uh, and I knew that, okay, there's, there, this is something weird. After that conversation, um, I called a friend of mine who's a ballistics expert and asked him to meet me in the field because I knew right then and there that, that this is just too odd and weird. And I thought, okay, something's up. I want to take, at this point, I want to take a step back. And because some people may not know, you know, I introduced you as the National Committee woman. But you also ran for office. So it's not like you're somebody that nobody might know. So tell us a little bit about running for office very briefly. Uh, very briefly, it was House District 24. Um, it's in the area that I live in. And they could certainly use some good representation. You've gone back to the field a second time? Yes. And the sheriff's deputy is there. The same That's sheriff's kind of deputy odd, is, isn't it? is there. Um, I, I thought it was kind of odd. Um, I was... Was anybody else with you? Uh, yes. Yes, actually there was. I had a, a, a friend of mine that I had called from town, and uh, he said that he was still, you know, looking for elk and I said hey I know that I'm going I know where I'm going your tag works here and you you already talked to these landowners he goes yes I did I said you want to go and he said yeah so we met at the bottom uh, of my driveway so to speak and then we drove over and there was somebody else with me and it was uh, he's ex-law enforcement and he too thought it was odd that the sheriff's deputy was back in the field or making or it a point to come out. over to ask me more questions um and he was surprised as ex-law enforcement he had i mean he just said you don't really need to talk to him anymore and i chose not to at that point so what happens from then that evening any any so, luck did you get, get to kill one elk um so the elk did not come into the area that i had access to hunt so i just kind of got to watch them for a couple of hours uh, but what happened after that was the ballistic experts did show up, and we did watch. I gave him a rundown of everything that I knew, and he, he's somebody who uh, I trust a lot. And he came in, and, and he's just like, okay, okay, here's, you know, he walked the field. Uh, we were by the implements every step of the way. Um, and he says, yep, I'll be able to do that. He says, well, I'm going to need your rifle. I said, sure. And he goes, what do you have it sighted in at? And I said, I have it sighted in for 100 yards. And I said, here's the rifle. He looked it over, wanted to know the ammo and the, the type. And it was um, everything. So he was able to give me at least some some things that were just like, well, this is step one. You know, because obviously I felt like this would go further. Uh, the deputy had um, called me at the house and had said, you know, uh, wanted to ask other questions, and I just um, didn't want to give him any more information. I didn't think it was in my best interest to do that, as I felt that the questions were really one-sided. And from talking to some of the other hunters, nobody else had said they were called or contacted. Um, so It's very interesting at this juncture that they're focusing on you, even though you didn't harvest you took two shots you didn't have a harvest you didn't kill anything and yet 
you're the you're the one they're focusing on. That that to me is significant. Well, it's your first red flag that this has very little to do with hunting. I think you're right, David. So um, a couple of days later, the deputy calls me and has uh, he says, "Well, I'd like to talk to you again," and I said. Um, well, that's not going to be possible until this day where I would be into town. And he said, well, what are you doing? So I was working and he says, well, I want to come in and, and talk to you. And I had, I just flat asked him, I said, is this, you still want to talk to me about what happened on November 30th? And he said, yes. So a week later, he comes to where I work at and he um, issues me this citation for reckless endangerment. Did they arrest you? They did not. He wanted a signature and said, um, uh, he made it seem like it was just no big deal. And I was like, oh, really? Um, And let me back up just to, just to say something that now that we, now that you asked that, um, in the beginning on November 30th, the same deputy um, had said to two of the hunters at the very beginning, I don't know who's getting a citation, but somebody's getting getting a citation. I thought that was odd because there was no investigation and there was some hearsay about the neighbors saying they heard cracking, a cracking noise. I, I don't know what that means. Well, well, if you read the, <laughs> well, if you read the newspaper, not the newspaper, but the article in the cow pie is the one that I read. It sounded like your neighbors were hiding under a hail of bullets and we were somewhere in, you know, Kiev or something. Yeah, yeah. All, all hell broke loose. The elk came out and you guys just opened fire with total reckless abandon to what was beyond there and a hail of bullets forced them to take cover. Well, it's funny that the word reckless keeps coming up because it is the specific charge. But I want to go to what you just said. When, when an officer says, I don't know who is getting a citation, but somebody's getting a citation, and this is my crazy out and left field, hey, wait a minute, I'm picking this out. Regardless of the situation, that is not justice. That is an attempt at revenue collection. I don't know who. At best, it's revenue I collection. I have no readily apparent probable cause to believe a specific individual committed a crime, and I have no evidence to support it. But somebody's either paying us or showing up in court and being uncomfortable. That is not justice. What, what I'm seeing is, and I don't know who it was that, that called on that, but let's be frank. There are certain people in any county that carry more weight than others. If I call today as a, as a legislator, if I call the police and say there's some suspicious activity, they're here within minutes. Five years ago, when I wasn't known from Adam, they might be too busy. So so when I'm looking at this situation, somebody called them and alerted them. Whoever that somebody was must have had some influence. Because I understand Wapiti, as, as a city, and I use that term very loosely, Wapiti as a community is 20, 30 minutes. you got to go through the canyon. you got to go through the tunnel and all that. You know, It's not just right there where most of these resources would be. And yet, because of some person's complaint, they were there not only at that incident, but they remained and hung out. I hate to paint a, a negative picture on, on any sheriff's department or any other such thing, 
but it, it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck when I hear that they were there that quickly, that a game warden was already watching. They're, they're, all of these things are just starting to align into what I might call a perfect storm. Especially, again, I mentioned that we keep mentioning recklessly, the specific charge is interesting. Reckless endangering has a very short statute, but the definition of reckless in the statute, in Title VI, recklessly is defined as the following conduct. A person acts recklessly when they consciously disregard a substantial and unjustifiable risk that the harm they are accused of causing will occur and the harm there was, results. There was nothing like that that happened. So, was anybody injured? There was no property damage. Was, was anybody killed? No. Was any property yes. damage? Well, there were some elk killed. But they were licensed by the state to kill those elk. So let's, we're talking, I know you're being funny, but I'm talking about, you know, we said earlier, words matter. And we have an officer of the law looking for something. And what they choose is reckless endangerment. When the statutory definition of reckless is not being met because the lesser charge, which probably still would have been appropriate of criminal neglect, you're being irresponsible with a firearm, making somebody feel something, might have been easier to prosecute, or what they sounded like they wanted to do but thought they couldn't get, which is aggravated assault with a firearm, which they knew they couldn't get that either, but by definition would have been more appropriate charge for what they were saying happened because the definition of reckless was never met. Because if the definition of reckless is met, then you have evidence of it right there. You have an injured person, you have a dead person, you have a bullet in somebody's private property. And there was none of that. There was no bullet. There was uh, nothing retrievable. There was some hearsay. And according to the, the report that I was given after the, were you go and enter your plea agreement, um, it, there were all these people that thought they heard something. And, but, but there yet there was nothing. So why do you think was that was there. that you were charged? If there was no evidence of the crime that meets the definition of what they charge you with, they charge you anyway. Why do you think you were charged? I think there's a, a couple of factors that were going on. I think that the, the previous sheriff and I and in his family, we, we're not friends. We have uh, butted heads together politically for quite a few years. I think it could have been that. Um, I think the neighbors who have called the game and fish every year I've been hunting in that field, I think there's something there. Maybe they don't want the elk, um, they don't want the elk hunted. Let's take a quick break and pay some bills. Yeah, it's still summer, but hunting season is not that far away. And it's time for you to start gearing up for it. I know, that's going to make the wife extraordinarily happy, but it has to be done. One of the best things that you can put in your hunting pack is a pair of really warm socks. And the best socks that I have ever worn are made by the Buffalo Wool Company. Most of the time, the first thing to get cold on my body are my feet. And being a diabetic like I am... I'm really, really sensitive to it. Now, I've tried Pendleton wool socks and just about every kind of wool sock that you could possibly imagine, and nothing compares to these Buffalo Wool Company socks. To get you a pair, go to their website, thebuffalowoolco.com. 
Trust me, you are not going to be disappointed. Wyoming is one of the most sought-after places to live. I talk about it all the time on this program. There's a lot of people that want to move to our great state. There's beautiful mountain vistas all the way from Sheridan to Saratoga and from Hewlett all the way to Jackson. It's an amazing place, and there's a ton of people that are moving here. If you're buying or selling, you need a real estate agent with experience. The best person to talk to is Rebecca Bextel at Compass Real Estate. Last year, she sold $25 million worth of property all across the state of Wyoming, from small residential properties all the way up to giant ranches. She's lived in Jackson for 20 years and has her fingers on the pulse of the real estate market all across the state of Wyoming. So it doesn't matter what type of property you're looking for or if you're thinking about selling. Give Rebecca a call, 307-699-3519. That's Rebecca Bextel at Compass Real Estate. And now... The conclusion to our program. Hold on, let me just stop you right there, Nina. So you just said that the Game and Fish has been called every year that you've been hunting in yes. the field. Has it been that the Game and Fish gets called when someone is hunting in the field or when Nina Weber is hunting in the I field? I can only tell you that every year I've hunted in that field, Game and, and Fish And they were there. there this time, as you pointed out, yes. they witnessed the entire thing. Significant, I think, because I've, I've hunted all over the state in all kinds of circumstances, and it's pretty rare when there's a game warden around. This is a hey, big absolutely. State. I mean, I I've bird hunted in this state and other states, and uh, it, I've rarely seen. Mm. But there's also a difference between like this. the crazy or hypersensitive neighbor who's always calling the police, or some kind of official representative of the government in some facet, and them coming out okay. But when the representatives of our government are taking action. That's a different thing, and I believe it has to do with there is some political capital in putting a person, even if they end up being innocent and the charges are dropped later, that interim between being charged and the resolution of it, there is political capital in that for people's enemies. So I don't know. Yeah, the neighbors might be crazy, but a law enforcement agency did this through official channels in contradiction to the definition of the words in the statute they used and there had to have been a reason and a benefit and if it wasn't a benefit to the people and wasn't a benefit to justice and there was no revenue collected because oftentimes i'm sorry that i'm not sorry laws are written and enforced specifically for revenue collection then that really only leaves one other thing and that was to make it more difficult for you to be successful being you with a clean name at least during that interim and that's my opinion, and I'm willing well, to take that. all the slings and arrows yeah. for that. Let me jump in here, if I may. The reason, Joey, that you're here is because you are a victim, I would call it, of a similar kind of circumstance. Yes. The reason that you had right at your disposal and your knowledge the definition of reckless, for example, is because there were charges brought against you at some point, and that's... That's frankly why I brought you in here, 
was, I think there's a little bit of a parallel, and I just want to explore that a little bit. And please, please give us just a go ahead. So, um, just to jump in really quick, uh, Joey, did you happen to read what the penalties were if you were convicted of reckless endangerment for the charge? It it says that the only penalty is up to one year in jail. Well, later in the statute, there is a section that says any a violation of any of the previous statutes that don't have a fine specifically assigned to them is an automatic seven hundred fifty dollar maximum. But in that specific statute, there's only two portions, uh, an A and B portion of reckless endangering. And then the third portion is the penalty, which only says up to not more than a year. Um, So, yeah, it's interesting. All this other stuff they ask for or the prosecutor expects to have happen isn't actually in the law. So if I may, I want to move this along so that somebody who's listening can understand why these people are here. Tell us just briefly, Joe, what your story is, what happened to you, and then we'll kind of work on the parallels if they actually exist or not. Um, I was at a private residence helping somebody move into their new home who was moving into their new home to get away from what was described to me as their drunken, violent husband. Um, There was history on paper, previous charges of domestic violence. This person is known to me. as a drinker and and a violent person. So I'm at that residence uh, helping this individual move into their new home. Uh, He shows up drunk, parks halfway across the yard and gets into a conversation. Luckily, I had the wherewithal to, as soon as I saw him pull up, hit record on my phone. So we have audio of this. Uh, Words were exchanged. He was asked to leave. I believe the count was 17 times in less than three minutes. Told to get off the property, leave. Not by me. I kept my mouth shut. Um, he, in my opinion, attempted to escalate, reached out. She retreated into the house from the porch where we were. I stood in the doorway. Um, words were exchanged. I was criminally assaulted. He punched me in the face. I spun around halfway around, reached into my waistband, immediately pulled out a firearm, pointed at him, told him, I don't want to, but I will put you down. Don't hit me again. Leave the property. Believing I was completely within my rights, on private property, defending another person, had just been criminally assaulted, and that individual's intent in my mind was to enter the home unlawfully. He le- or he comes at me, wrestles for the gun, shots fired over his head. He runs off, leaves. He's charged with criminal assault. He pleads guilty. I am his victim. I have a victim's advocate. The judge orders him to pay restitution for my broken glasses, uh, orders him... Uh, what do they call it? Order of protection. He's not allowed to harass or involve himself with me at all. So that was the beginning of October back in 2021. Mid-December, sheriff's deputy shows up at my house and hands me a summons saying I'm being charged with reckless endangerment under the B part of the statute, which is knowingly pointing a firearm, whether you believe it's loaded or not, at another individual. That's what I was originally charged with. And so I read it. I think the uh, the deputy chuckled, shut the door, and then it turned into other things. The interesting thing to me was I was already, as Nina's established with her, I was already a political figure prior to the original incident. 
But between the beginning of October, when I was criminally assaulted, and the beginning of, or the middle of December, when I was actually served, and apparently they'd been trying to serve me for about two and a half weeks, just couldn't find me. Not hard to find. Literally have my name on the side of my car during this time. But um, the end of November, we had a state committee meeting in Buffalo, where I forwarded and brought to the state central committee the second resolution dealing with former Representative Cheney, and we passed the resolution that formally no longer recognized her as a Republican. Two weeks later, I'm served with a criminal court summons, and they had been looking for me for two weeks to serve that. So almost immediately after that meeting, somehow, someway, and I had a few conversations with a few people in that room that were a little heated. They are members of the bar. I have no doubt my personal opinion, conversations were had amongst their little cabal of, you know, professional jurists. But I faced that and uh, I went and I pled not guilty. I immediately filed a complaint against the prosecutor because not only had he been the prosecutor that handled the criminal assault against me, he's also the prosecutor that for no reason that can be found in record dismissed the domestic violence charges against the same individual earlier that same year and took all of his basis for his charges from a telephone, not even interview, a telephone conversation he had with me as the victim of an assault. I wasn't Mirandized. I wasn't under the impression that I was being looked at or charged with a crime. All of a sudden, because it's within the statute of limitation, charges are valid. So I asked the judge if uh, I could please represent myself because you know the old saying, any, any lawyer that has himself as a client has a fool for a client, but I'm looking at these charges that even a fool can beat this charge. And uh, the first and only thing they really asked for on bond was they didn't want money, they wanted my guns. After four and a half months of not being served, known I was under investigation or being charged with anything, not even having as much as a parking ticket, now I am so criminally dangerous in their mind or have the potentiality for it that that four months of not doing anything wrong doesn't matter. They need to take my guns now. And luckily we had a very good judge in Carver County, still practices uh, on the bench or still serves on the bench. And she said exactly what I just said. No, Mr. Carini has, has been free, not even without bond. Didn't even know he was charged and has had no problems. So he's going to go ahead and keep his firearms. So, so we move forward a little bit, and as my own attorney, I have to deal with the prosecutor and have uh, settlement conferences and scheduling conferences, and I tried to make a deal. I said, listen, what do you really want, you know, because my concern is the court's time and the taxpayer's money, and he said, there is no deal that you get out of this and get your guns. I said, I, I, I still have my guns. What do you mean get my guns? I have my guns. He's like, I have the one the one they confiscated the night I was assaulted. I said, well, yeah, you have that one, but I still have my rights, my liberty to have firearms. And he's like, well, there's no way. I said, well, then there's no point in us talking. Nothing else matters. I will go to jail. That's how you're going to get my right to have, possess firearms. You're going to have to put me in prison. And so the judge, we did back and forth. I did a filed a motion to dismiss. The prosecutor filed a rebuttal of about five pages. I filed a reply to his rebuttal of about 13 pages. And then the judge called us in and said, I'm going to schedule a conference for dismissal. You need to be prepared on this date, this date. And by the way, and I have this recording, if people don't believe me, 
Uh, it's part of the transcript. The judge said, Mr. Crenny, we've looked and we know it's not Wyoming. We need to know what state it is you've practiced law in before because of the content of my rebuttal. And I said, I, I, I'm not a lawyer. I, I just have a lot of free time. I like to read and understand liberty. And she said, well, I'm going to let you continue acting as your own attorney. Um, and and so I apologize for assuming that you were a lawyer. So the dismissal hearing comes. Prosecution brings out their star criminal witness, the guy that criminally assaulted me. Um, of course, I get to cross-examine, and I pull out the court document from the higher court, the district court, where they found that in a five-page document talking about who he is and what he's done and what the court feels about him. They mentioned him being a violent alcoholic or at least abuser of drugs and alcohol and engager in violence. I believe it was 19 times in just those few pages. Prosecutor didn't like that. He wanted it dismissed. It's not actual evidence. I argued that it's a public document from this very courthouse. In fact, probably in the file you have on this guy in your office right now that you won't share with me, which I believe is a Brady violation. They would not share his criminal history with me. I had to go find it myself. Okay. And so it was a lot of tit for tat back and forth during that dismissal hearing. And I probably wasn't on my A game. So I arrive in court for the plea hearing on the reckless endangerment charge, which is specifically pointing a weapon at another individual knowingly. As I walk into court, the court deputy hands me another piece of paper. And it is a second charge. And it's of the A statute, which is the actual reckless endangering without self-defense. Because they know now, with as well written as my rebuttal was, that I have a fully functional argument for self-defense, even without the stand your ground at a home. I was criminally assaulted. I didn't hit him back. I pointed a gun to stop it. So now I'm charged with the reckless endangerment of the general public, the potential death or serious injury of somebody that I couldn't have been defending myself against. So the first part of the uh, hearing is the judge stating this charge is under the same statute. It's just the first part of the statute. So I'm going to allow this dismissal hearing to consider both. Well, I'm not ready to argue it. I was charged as I walked in the door. But this dismissal hearing now stands as all charges because it looks like the first initial charge is going to be dropped. Before I even have anything that I can say, the prosecutor immediately speaks up, says, well, if we're considering the new charge in this hearing, I would like to request that Mr. Kareny's firearms be taken to him because he's now facing a second charge of firearm. I believe he said violence, but with no victim, no injury, no property damage, there, there couldn't have been any violence. Anytime you pull a trigger, is it violent? No. Sometimes it's target. Sometimes it's hunting. And, and that's all I was... Uh, actually admitting to having done. So we're looking at another situation where at the most convenient opportunity, which they are now creating, they are saying, we're take we want your guns. We're not doing anything until we take your guns. Oh gosh. So when I went for the plea hearing in uh, Park County, uh, this is before we had even the, the deputies write up or anything. Um, the plea hearing was there. And one of the things that came out of the plea hearing from the, uh, from the prosecuting attorney was uh, that they wanted to take the guns, my guns. And uh, I said to my attorney, I said, absolutely not. I said, that doesn't work for me ever. I said, I live in the mountains. We have grizzlies up there. We have coyotes. We have other predators. We have, I said, that does not work for me. And he had uh, made some comments to the judge about, uh, well, she has a safe. She can put her put her guns in a safe so they said uh, the judge had said well um, 
okay, how about this then? If it if something about if it's agreeable with the attorney, uh, the prosecuting attorney about the center fire rifle to be kept in the safe. And I said, I and my attorney and I were sitting right next to each other. I said, I, I can keep that in the safe. And I also said about, you know, the I live in the mountains. It's, it could be dangerous up there. And he said, uh, my attorney said, said those words. And the judge had then said, well, you can keep, the center fire rifle locked up and not use that and you can go ahead and still use your shotguns in all of your handguns that doesn't have, make any sense i have everything from a 22 to a 45 and more so it's a- placation of the liberal class at the most minor degree possible of the specific weapon that may be in question for this non-crime incident is the only thing that with no proof you have to have locked up but we're still not going to take it from you we're charging you with being reckless and dangerous, but we're going to trust you to lock up this one rifle and be totally safe. But we still think, because they have to have an honest belief that you're guilty of the crime you're charged with. They believe you're reckless and dangerous, but they're comfortable with just the one firearm being locked up. I mean, it's... But we don't have a red flag law, guys. Well, we don't need a red flag I mean, there law. Is we no have law. red flag processes. Perhaps, but the point he, point I'm trying to make is in Wyoming, there is no process to where they can take your guns away. In fact, there are lots of processes that say they can't, and yet and here yet we have, do. and yet here we have two instances where yours, Joey, when they said, "Well, you're not getting out of this with your guns," and in Nina's case, the idiotic prosecutor says, "Well, you know, she can't have her center fire rifle." Not to mention the probably hundred other guns that are in your house. For some reason, that particular weapon makes you crazy. <laughs> well, let me let me ask let me ask you why. Why don't they need the law? Because either the judge will sentence or mandate, or more likely, it'll be part of the plea agreement, like in Nina's case. This one thing has to be locked up, and at the end of that discussion hearing, you sign a paper. You gave up your right to do that willfully. Nobody ordered you. Now, it may seem like in the conversation you were ordered to, but the judge at the end, I guarantee, asked you, said, do you agree to these terms? And you said yes, and you signed a piece of paper. I refuse to say yes or let that be on the paper I signed. And I'm not saying that's what happened in your case. That's what I normally see with people. The problem is the argument doesn't come up equilaterally. The individual that criminally assaulted me and pled guilty and the judge put an order of protection on that prosecutor never asked for his guns and in fact the entire time he was living two blocks from me for the eight months that he wasn't allowed to vex or harass me or he'd be going straight to jail that whole time he was allowed to keep his gun. nobody even asked for him and he had him the whole time and that brings up the second issue that we're that we're talking about here that it was that this it's overzealous prosecution because the people prosecuting your, you are not your political allies. That's and, exactly yeah. what it is. And I, I wrote, yes. I wrote a part in my rebuttal of, this is not seeking justice. This is seeking a conviction. You're looking for something that you can argue on paper that you think I won't be able to defend against. Because if you truly wanted justice, this guy would have no guns and be in jail. And you'd be thanking me for my service. Well, didn't the judge also tell you, Joey, that you're the most controlled? <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, what what ended up happening 
the second charge, the, the, the judge wasn't able to make a decision at the end of the uh, hearing for this dismissal because she had another case. People were coming in. Uh, so she said, you know, write your summations and your closing arguments and I'll consider them. And so we, we turned them in and it took quite a few weeks. Trial was looming. I think it was a week and a half before, uh, two weeks before trial. And the judge said, I'm not going to dismiss this case because of the second charge. I believe there's sufficient evidence in the argument. I'm paraphrasing, uh, that there was an attack and that the first charge should be dismissed, but because the act in the first charge caused the act that justifies the second charge, I think we need to send it to a jury. Said, okay, well, now we're going to trial. And this is the first smart move this prosecutor made. Finding out he was going to have to go to trial with me, he quit his job and left the county. And I don't blame him. If I had to go to court against me, I'd run and hide too. So he is now doing things other places, and he left the uh, office in pretty bad shape with uh, a lot of cases that he was just kind of going after for his own, this is my opinion. So I met the new prosecutor, uh, completely different. He said, listen, when we go and we talk to the judge, if you want to do a plea agreement, um, I will ask for your firearms because that's what the county attorney expects. You can make a legal argument, and based on what the judge has said so far, I think you'll be able to keep your guns. But as part of the plea agreement, I'm going to say during sentencing, we want to take your guns because that's the expectation of our county attorney. There's also this and this. And I said, well, so we're basically going to have another hearing and we're just going to be arguing over sentencing. And he said, we're just going to argue about the particulars because I will not plead guilty to making that person my victim. I will not plead guilty to something I did under the protection of stand your ground, the second amendment and my right to liberty life. Maybe this didn't have anything to do with happiness, but, but the argument that I may have put somebody in public and remember I served the people at this time as, you know, I wasn't publicly elected, but I was responsible to the people directly um, because there was a highway within what I agreed the legitimate trajectory was of the round I fired and that people drive on that highway. And I don't know who was on that highway, even though the highway is at the apex of the shot. Could not have possibly, but I would have to agree. And I said this in court. I could make a great legal argument that I didn't put anybody in danger, but my integrity will not allow me to make the moral argument saying I know for a fact nobody was put in danger by my action, and that's what I'm pleading guilty to. And so she allowed the guilty plea to go through. She, uh, The judge stated that Given the situation and her years on the bench, she's never seen anybody more responsible, restrained, and uh, reacting appropriately. Yeah, you're under... getting beat in the face. Well, that's the other thing the county prosecutor or the county attorney or their prosecutor could never provide me. I asked for, where's the Carbon County uh, attorney's matrix for how many times does an innocent person have to be punched in the face before they're allowed to defend themselves at what rate? The F around and find out matrix. And they still haven't been able to provide that for me. Uh, but yeah, she was quite impressed with how I had handled myself and then how I conducted myself in court. And I stick to my original statement, the original charges I was facing at the time, this fool who had himself as a client beat those charges. And I, I don't believe I pled guilty to doing anything dangerous. I pled guilty to a concept that would make it difficult for me to face myself in the mirror, whether I was facing myself in a prison mirror or my bathroom mirror for the next two years. They still tried to come after my guns. 
a third time when the sentencing, after saying all that, almost tearfully, taking full responsibility, not only for my actions, but for my contribution to my own life that produced that situation where I chose to do these things. And you guys know me. I've, since that time, I've gone through a lot of changes, personally, spiritually, physically. I've done a lot of work because I really did consider. I made a deal with the judge. She said, do you agree to these terms? And I said, yes, I do. Not like I'm going to spend 18 months on probation trying to find a way to get away with stuff. She said, don't go into bars. I said, I'm a DJ. I work in bars. She said, okay. And she wrote it right there, except for the purposes of employment. So I didn't go out drinking. I didn't go and do all this, but I kept my guns. And she stated, because I was so responsible, and there was no doubt in her mind that I handled that situation as, as well as anybody could. And then I kind of asked a question, and she did answer. I'm not going to say this is an official statement of the court or position of the state, but when I said, I just want to clarify, I am pleading guilty to putting that round out into public and not into my attacker. And she says, yeah. So what I really took away from it is they're going to try to prosecute you, especially if you're effective at anything that they don't like. They are going to come after your guns, even if they don't intend to legitimately prosecute you. They'll harass you with it just to get your guns. And I have a case where a judge said, no warning shots next time. If they're going to come take your guns, take your guns for using them. And that's what I will demand of them. Adjudicate me guilty of an actual crime. Put me in jail because that is probably the only way you're going to have me say, I don't like it, but that is our system. They made me a felon and I'm in jail, so I get why I can't have guns right now. But other than that, know what you're doing. And anything aside from something that has up to a year in jail, get a lawyer for. Definitely get a lawyer. Oh, well... <laughs> be very careful one. with the attorneys you pick. Well, had, yes, had, I, had I taken the public defender, I would have been in even worse shape. I was in better shape defending myself because the next person on the list who constantly comes up in Carver County is Charles Pelkey. And he would have made sure I went and did jail and lost my guns while defending me because that's just who he is as a person because he can't separate his personal feelings from his law practice. Now, the biggest problem is not the fact that this happened. The problem, everyone says, oh, it's in law, it's red flags, it's this, it's what you did versus a perception. No, the problem is we have people that are selectively prosecuting individuals because of who they are, relating it to guns, and even the prosecutors aren't 100% responsible. It's the county attorneys. This is where we fix it. We talk about all this other stuff. Well, we don't have red flags, so we can't take the red flag laws off the books. There aren't any. We have got to be actively involved and hold accountable the people we elect to office. And this isn't just a political thing. This is now a liberty thing. Exactly the, right. So, Nina. County attorney signed off on every action this guy took. Nina, what was the final disposition of your case? The final disposition um, after going through uh, a few months and a little bit of money, like a lot of money and stress. And, you know, you're worried that you're going to go to jail um, and you didn't do anything wrong. And I felt like it was partially a political hit job. When there partially? Was, there was no, <laughs> there was no proof, no evidence. There was some hearsay of some neighbors. And then publicly, um, and I know Joey knows how this is. And, and I'm sure Ken and you too, David, you walk down the street and you get to hear about it 
and uh, I didn't really care for all that. The final disposition of my case was this. It was dismissed with prejudice so that they could never bring that back again. Dismissed with prejudice. That is very significant. Absolutely it is. I don't know how many times that's been done in that county, if at all. One of the things that happened right after that is that um, I did bring a complaint to the newly elected sheriff on the deputy. And we did go through uh, a couple of, of basics. I have zero law enforcement background, but I understand a couple of things. One, there was no timeline. He didn't interview all of the people. I believe he was told something and he went with it. I don't think this deputy has, uh, I, he could be a good deputy if trained, if trained right. I felt pretty comfortable with how everything turned out. Um, one of the things that was a, a big caution for me was, okay, if I go and do this, I know that every time I turn around and then the perception of anything wrong, I'm going to be getting a ticket, a speeding ticket, um, crossing this jaywalking ticket, just anything. I, I would have to believe still in our justice and in, in the fact that we elected a new sheriff would be that if, if there's a law that's being broke, then yes, somebody should be held accountable for that. I agree. But I think we also have, we have another responsibility and that is to say, and this is something I've developed since I've worked through this system. And first of all, let me tell you, defending yourself is not cheap either. <laughs> Being your own attorney takes just as much time, maybe a little less money, but you still have to buy access to research materials. You got to travel all over the place. You got to make these court documents. You got to make them right their way. Lots of copies, right. lots of triplicates, lots of certified mailings. Uh, so it's it's not cheap. And one of the problem is not just the time or the way that the justice system has made law scary for normal people. But there's a, there's a cost of whether you're paying someone else to do it or doing it yourself. But I think one of the things we need to do is, like I said earlier to you guys, we have a broken system and we have to utilize that broken system to fix the broken system without getting overly emotional or saying, we need to bomb the whole thing. And no, we're going to get there incrementally. And part of what I think our responsibility is, we need to start referring criminal charges on our own as citizens, not wait for the sheriff to do it. We need to start looking into the limits and the expectations of qualified immunity as it relates to harassment. If you're getting a ticket every time you go out the door, which is something you should expect, it's one of my life rules, walk out your door every morning, assuming everything you're doing is being investigated and recorded. And then the follow-up rule to that is always leave such a wide paper trail, they'd never want to investigate all of it. But when it comes to getting cited, getting a ticket, because of this last issue that I dealt with is, you know, I have a new motto, and this is not me being disrespectful to law enforcement. I have a small law enforcement background, private law enforcement, and a military background. I, I respect what these guys do. And there's a few times throughout a career where that hard thing that we really love the cops for, that, you know, SWAT team whatever situation, good on them. The rest of the time, man, I'm going to catch hell for saying this, but cops are secretaries with guns that make appointments for you to talk to judges. You don't argue with them. You don't disrespect them. You follow lawful orders, but they have no legal right to lecture you. You have no legal responsibility to listen to their lecture. Give me my appointment with the judge. I will see you in court. Thank you. And you might have to spend three days in jail because they don't like your attitude or whatever. Uh, but the bottom line is it's all going to get worked out in court. So, so yeah. So, they can only give you so many jaywalking tickets 
before their harassment exceeds their qualified immunity, and it will have to stop, and it will be a judge that stops that. So unless you have a really, really good judge like I have in Carbon County, never vote to retain a judge. Be very careful who you elect, county so sheriff and county attorney. On the national level, attorney. we have this story about Hunter Biden and unequal justice under the law. If they put one one-thousandth of effort into legitimately investigating the Bidens or the Clintons as they have into Donald Trump. I think you, you, I've made my point just right there. Pretty much everybody out there listening to this is aware of those things. And we like to think, well, that's, that doesn't happen here. That doesn't happen in Wyoming. The reason I wanted to bring this show, and here are two of my friends who have been victims of this, and I could regale you with a couple of stories of my own about myself personally. Your wife shaking her head no. Your wife yeah, shaking her head no. Yeah, we're not going to go yeah. there. <laughs> but but the point is, this is not just a national problem. This is a systemic problem that involves Wyoming as well. And we need to be aware. We need to be alert. And when you read a news article that says crazy Nina Weber goes out and shoots up the countryside frantically missing elk. There might be another side of the story. There's a reason we call it the cow pie, can Yeah. When you read a story that says Joey Carretti went out and whatever it was he did this week, there might be another side to the story. I'm asking you to reserve judgment. I'm asking you to consider because just because it didn't involve you this time doesn't mean it won't next time. Well, remember, they probably came after Nina and myself because we matter. How easily can they go and get the people nobody's looking out for? Nobody. I mean, we have our detractors, but we have our supporters. Yes, we do. There's a lot of normal people that are just normal people. They don't have the time. They don't have the money. They don't have the network of support that we do. So the question I always ask myself when I see these things come out, what they're doing to Hunter Biden, I said, if I was even suspected of something like that, what would they do? And if it's any different than what they're doing, then I know it's corruption. And I'm telling you, if Nina and I were anywhere in the D.C. area the day they found that cocaine, we'd both be in jail right now having our blood and our hair tested to see when's the last time we were near cocaine because it had to have been one of them because we'll never go after uh, Biden. But if us normal, what, what, what did the governor call us? Uh, non-essential workaday <laughs> knuckleheads. If uh, we knucklehead, could get the treated differently, comment, yes. if, if we would be treated differently in that situation, then that person needs to be treated the way we would. And that's how you know. That's the gauge. Nina, last words? Last words. I would say that... That's not a threat, by the way. It, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say uh, there's a lot of truth in what uh, my friend Joey was just talking about. And, and that is... Um, you know, it can happen. It, it happened to me. It can happen to you. Um, it's pretty scary to go through those um, types of events because it's, it, it's costly. It's very, 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 very stressful. Every person you think you know or don't know, they have questions for you. And uh, it, it's hard to come out on the other end standing strong. Um, and when you do, you know you're right. You know you're right. That'll do it for today's installment of the program. Have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk again on Saturday during Weekend Update. But for now, from the base of the Bighorns, in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, 
I'm David Iverson, and this is the one and only Cowboy State Politics.